you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. When Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim, they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. But Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those flowing down towards the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to be with you this morning, and thank you that you've chosen to join with us. As Nick said, uh, my name is Neil. If we haven't met yet, I get to be one of the pastors here at Sidoni Hill. Uh, And we uh, have arrived at a particularly critical moment uh, here in the history of God's people. Uh, For them, uh, this was the moment that the the last 40 years of wandering through the wilderness was all leading to, finally actually entering into the promised land. Uh, In fact, it's kind of uh, far longer than that in a sense, because this was the land that was originally promised to Abraham centuries and centuries earlier. But But it's almost 40 years to the day Uh, where they were saved out of slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt, uh, escaping at that time through another body of water through the Red Sea. Uh, And so as we heard here in the Bible reading, uh, there's another body of water for them to cross in order to enter into uh, the the, the promised land. So there's kind of some recurring themes going on here. But this time they're they're, they're crossing the the Jordan River and, and now they're not escaping from an enemy but they're actually entering into a land as enemies. So because even even though this is the land that had been promised to them by the Lord all those 
years earlier, it's not like they're, you know, they're kind of entering into the Garden of Eden where everything's kind of perfect and it's prosperous. There's, there's no party bus. There's no, there's no welcome party there for them. It's, it's not entering into a life of prosperity and ease. And it's, they're actually entering not as owners but as enemies. And so they need to be ready for the next thing that is to come for them. And so in many ways, the, the Lord is using these final moments to, to prepare his people for what is to come. And if there was ever an uh, inopportune moment to cross the Jordan, uh, well, this, this is it. I mean, if you think about kind of the, where they were at there, the leader, Moses, who was the one who had led them through the Red Sea, you know, he's got runs on the board when it comes to you know, crossing large bodies of water and nobody getting wet. Right? He's just died. And so they don't have him any longer. And Joshua is there, but at this point, no one's, no one's really sure. If, can he do what, what Moses did? Could, could they absolutely be confident in, in his leadership for what was to become next? And then as the text tells us that the, uh, the Jordan itself at this time was flooded. It floods at harvest season. And so the, the Jordan was flooded, which means that at this point in the river, it's potentially about a mile across, across the floodplains. And also because of the, the drop in the landscape, it's actually flowing quite quickly. So the, the, it's not a good time to cross. Even when it's normal, it's very difficult to cross a whole lot of people across a, a river. And now it's impossible. But as usual, the, the Lord wants to use this moment to display his power and leave no doubt in the people's minds that, that he's the living God and that he is leading with them and he's with them. And so just as we've read, there's this miraculous event Whereas the, the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, as they step into the waters... The, the river stops flowing, the, the ground dries up, and everyone crosses on dry ground. And so as we saw, we, we, we got a few bits from uh, chapter 3, and we're actually looking at all of chapters 3 and 4 today. And so what we're going to focus on is, is, is three things that, that the Lord is doing here to prepare them for what is to come as they enter into the promised land. The, the, the first thing that we see is that it's, Mercy that makes the way. Mercy that makes the way. If you've got your Bibles, love you to uh, have them open with me. Uh, we'll start in chapter 3, uh, from verse 3. Uh, it says this, uh, And Joshua commanded the people, that as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length, do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And then we'll skip down to verse 8. It says, And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord 
of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take 12 men from the 12 the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand up in one heap. Now in these chapters, uh, the Ark of the Covenant is, is mentioned some uh, 17 times. Right? So it's, it's, it's pretty, obviously a pretty important part of the story, and so it's important for us to have a bit of an, an idea about what the Ark is. Now, when the people were in the wilderness, the, the Lord makes a covenant with Moses and all the people of Israel. And central to that covenant was God's instruction or God's law. And that was primarily represented in the, the Ten Commandments. The, the Ten Commandments that were written on these stone tablets. And, and to hold uh, these, uh, these stone tablets, God, God commands them to build uh, this box or, or a chest. It's the, the ark. I think we've got a picture of it there to get a bit of an idea of kind of what it looks like. Now, uh, a couple of the arcs in the Bible, not to be confused with Noah's ark, right? There's lots of animals and things like that with that one. But, but it's kind of in the, in the same way that the ark kept Noah safe. Well, the ark keeps the, the tablet safe as well. And so it's this kind of beautiful box that is in the, the tabernacle. Uh, it's about uh, 1.3 metres wide, about that side, 80 centimetres high and wide, um, made of acacia wood and covered with gold and decorations. There's, uh, you can see there's uh, the, the cherubim on top there. But one of the most important things about the ark was actually what, what took place on the lid. See, once a year, the, the high priest would go into the place where the, the ark was kept, into the Holy of Holies, and there he would atone for his sin and for the sins of the people. And he'd do this by, by taking the blood of sacrifices and would be sprinkling it over the, the top, the lid of the ark. And that blood would, would turn away God's righteous and just, just wrath towards the sin of the people so that he could have mercy on them, so that he would give forgiveness the, the, the theological word for, for this turning away of God's wrath is uh, propitiation, turning away God's wrath and receiving God's mercy. And so the, the, the top of the ark was known as the mercy seat because it's where, where sin was covered and the wrath of God was turned away and mercy was received. In the book of Exodus, it tells us uh, that this is a place where the, the presence of God would, would meet with the people. So Exodus 25 says, uh, There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Now, as we, as we look at the Ark throughout the Old Testament, it's kind of got a bit of a strangeness to it. Right? It's kind of like it's got some kind of superpower. It's a bit, you know, Indiana Jonesy and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, if you, if you touched it, even with good intentions, you, you died. There's a, uh, so it had to be carried on uh, poles because not even the priests could touch it. 
We read later on in the book of, of 1 Samuel that, uh, how the, the Philistines they actually uh, captured it and took it away with them. But then when they had it in their camp, a, a huge plague broke out and they realized that it's actually because of the Ark of the Covenant that was in their midst. And so they sent the whole thing back to Israel. And here we see that's when the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the moment that they step into the water, the river opens up and the ground dries out. And so they stay in the middle of the river so that everyone can cross. And then the moment they get out of the river with the Ark, the river starts to flow again. But it's important for us to realize that the Ark isn't, it's not God in a box. Right? It's not like a, a, a genie in a bottle or it's some kind of supernatural super weapon. Kind of like thinking that uh, you know, whoever has the box wins the war. It's kind of the, the thing that will just defeat everyone. You know, the, the ark contained in physical form the, the spiritual reality of the covenant that God had made with his people. And so God would use it to, to mediate his presence and power. And so when the, the ark goes into the water, it's, it's to show that the God himself, that he's the one who is, who is leading them. He doesn't just kind of stand back and just, just make it happen from a distance. You know, it's, it's his presence and his power. See, because it's, it's the mercy of God that, that makes a way for the people of God to enter into the promises of God. In the, in the New Testament, uh, 1 John uh, chapter 2 tells us this, that Jesus, that he is the propitiation for our sins. See, through, through Jesus' death on the cross, that, that he has turned away God's wrath from us, that we might receive mercy See, there's no longer any need for the Ark of the Covenant or the mercy seat or the sacrifices of blood because it's the mercy of God in Jesus that makes a way for us to enter into the promises of God. See, the promises that we have in Jesus are actually far, far greater than what the Israelites had here. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that for all the promises of God find their yes in him. And so it's good for us to consider what are, what are some of the promises that God has for us, for his people. There's promises of the forgiveness of sin, of, of justification being made right before God. God promises to, to sanctify those who are struggling against sin. God promises us spiritual food. He promises us guidance. He, he promises us preservation. God has promises of, of peace and joy and hope. He, he promises the, the seal and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He, he has promises for life. He has promises for death. He has promises for, for glory. His promises reach all the way into eternity. He promises to always be with you, to, to never forsake you. He promises to work all things for your good. He promises to give you everything that you need. And these promises of God for us aren't, 
They're, they're, they're not to make all the trials and troubles of life go away, but they're, they're promises for you in the midst of whatever might happen under the sovereign hand of God that, that you might persevere and that God might do in you his will. And you might feel like at the moment that you're in a kind of a crossing the Jordan moment in your life. Perhaps you're on the kind of the precipice of stepping into a new season or a new phase of life. And you're not really sure what's on the other side. There's a whole lot of doubts, a whole lot of uncertainties and anxieties about what that kind of next season might hold for you. Perhaps it's, you know, it's, it's the new year, and so it's, there's a whole lot of new stuff that's happening for you at the moment. Perhaps it's, you're about to uh, get married, or, or you're thinking of married, but you're, you're scared that it's going to turn out like your parents' marriage. Or, or, or maybe you're, you're about to come, become a parent for the first time, and you know there's a whole lot of good stuff there, there but there's, man, there's a whole lot of uncertainty. There's... So many ups and downs. Maybe it's stepping into a new career, a new job, somewhere that you know God is leading to, but you don't know what is on the next point. Maybe there's, maybe there's danger ahead. See, for those who are in Christ, all of the promises of God find their yes in Him. That means whatever that is, but if you're trusting God, that you can be confident that He is with you that he is leading you. Sometimes you hear this uh, kind of idea that, that is sometimes popular among Christians today that, that kind of flips this notion around a bit. That, that, when, you're, that you're, when you're facing the, the, the trials and troubles of life, when there's these uncertainties and, and doubts and anxieties, that, that the thing that you need to know is that God believes in you. That that's where you'll get your strength from. That, that what you need for, for, for courage is, is knowing that God believes in you. And that God is kind of like a, a father who's encouraging his kids, saying, you know, you, you can do it. I believe in you. Now, it's a, it's a nice idea if it wasn't for what the Bible says. I mean, it's a, it's a good thing for, for parents to be instilling confidence in their kids but it's, a, but it's a strange notion that, that God would believe in anything in the way that we talk about it. See, if anything, it, it pulls God down to us, to our level, and, and it flips the locus of belief from God onto us, as if we're at the center. See, time and time again, all throughout the Bible, uh, it calls for us that what we need more than anything else, particularly in, in moments of, of doubt or in testing, is not to know that God believes in us, but the call for us to believe in God. To believe His promises. See, whenever in the moment, in the Bible, there's, there's a moment where, where, where someone is uncertain of, of what it means to, to follow God, God responds in one of two ways. One is, fear not, or be strong and courageous. Why? Because I'm with you. Or the other way is, you've got to get over yourself. You need to humble yourself before me. We need to believe that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he has promised to do. 
See, God doesn't exist to, to, to build up our own sense of self-esteem or self-worth because those things are always trying to point ourselves into ourselves. And what we need is to be pointed to God. And did you, did you notice here uh, two things that the, the people needed to do in order to, to prepare for the crossing of the Jordan? We're going to read uh, verses 4 and 5 again in, in chapter 3. It says, Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, and the ark, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go. For have you not passed this way before? And Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The first thing we see that they, they needed to do was they, they needed to stay back about 2,000 cubits. Uh, What's a cubit? That's a good question. Uh, it works out to be about, about a thousand yards. And it seems like the, the reason that people had to stay back was because, uh, so that everyone could see it. I mean, there, there, there's a whole lot of people, and if everyone's kind of crowding around it, they're not going to actually see what the ark is doing. Uh, and so they told us that you need to see back, stay back so that you can see what the Lord is actually doing. The, the second thing it tells us there in verse 5 is that they needed to, do, they needed to, to consecrate themselves or to, to sanctify themselves. Uh, and what this likely looked like was that they needed to do, to, to do a ritual washing, they needed to, to wash their clothes, they likely needed to, to spend time confessing their sins, uh, and they also had to abstain from sex. And that's not because it was a bad thing, but for husbands and wives, it was about abstaining from a good thing because of the importance of what was about to happen. See, in, in order to not miss what God was doing, the people needed to be prepared. They needed to be prepared to see what he would do. They couldn't just kind of roll out of bed in the morning and just kind of follow the crowd as everyone kind of goes across, because if they did that, they, they would miss it. So they needed to be both physically and spiritually prepared to witness what the Lord was doing in this moment. See, you know, I, I think we often fail to detect the, the marvelous things that God does in our lives just through the, the routine affairs of everyday life because we haven't prepared ourselves to see what the Lord is doing. We gather here like this on a Sunday. How do, you, how do you physically and spiritually prepare yourself to worship the living God? This is, this is hard for me on a Sunday. As, as Nick was saying, a lot of my job is kind of making sure everything happens. And so on a Sunday morning, what I'm doing is running around uh, trying to make sure everything works and everything's set up and is, everything is good to go. And so it's easy to be doing a whole lot of good and necessary things but get to this moment and not actually be prepared to, to worship with and meet with the living God. What we do here, that, that as we gather, as we, as we raise our voices in worship of the God of the universe, as we, as we read his word and as we, we pray together, that if you if you're satisfied with just kind of you know, rolling in at some point after the, the service starts, maybe after the music is done, you've got to make sure you've got your coffee first. 
I know it's hard, you know, wrangling kids and, and getting them out of bed and into city kids and, and all that. But, the, but then we come and our, our minds are just, you know, consumed with everything but the glory and grandeur of God. And then maybe we're just kind of, you know, distracted and apathetic during worship. You know, good thing about having the Bible app on your phone is that you can just scroll through social media during the sermon and no one knows. And if we do that, then, then why are we surprised when we're just spiritually dry? Well, why are we surprised that we, we, we struggle to bring to mind the grace of God that is in operation in every day of our lives? Why are we surprised when we fail to see what God is doing? Now, you don't have to, but it's, it's probably a good thing that you wash before coming to church. Wear some clean clothes. Husbands and wives, you don't have to abstain. Right? Whatever you do the night before, morning of, that's fine. But how do you prepare yourself to meet with the living God so that you can see what he's doing? How do you prepare your heart to praise him? How how do you prepare your mind to know and engage with his word? How how do you prepare your soul to meet with the living God? This this leads us to the next way that the the Lord is preparing his people. We consider the enemy of faith. We're going to flip across uh, to chapter 4 now. 4 verse 1 says this. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take, uh, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children, children ask in time to come, well, What do these stones mean? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Uh, Most of the time, uh, I think social media is a kind of life-sucking vortex. Uh, uh, But one of the things I I, I do like about it is is the memories that that come up. Uh, Last week, uh, Kirsty and I, we celebrated our 18th wedding anniversary. Um, thank you. We've got a marriage course coming in a couple of weeks. You should come. Uh, and that was so long ago that uh, social media didn't exist right, when we got married. Uh, but since then, uh, most years, we've been able to do something to, to celebrate our anniversary. And so we, we get these memories that pop up and say, you know, on this date. And it reminds us of times, hey, you know, remember that time we, we, we celebrated and we went out for dinner? Or, or, we, or we went away for the weekend, and, and, it's, and it's good 
Because it's not like we've, we've totally forgotten about those things, right? But, but we needed to be reminded of them because we're forgetful. And so when we, we look at those memories, go, hey, hey, remember when we did that? Hey, hey remember that, that time where we saw God's goodness in our marriage here? And so as we're reminded of those important moments in our relationship, then we're reminded again of just the preciousness of one another and the love that we have for one another. Now, God hadn't yet gifted his people uh, Facebook at this time. All right? So they didn't have memories that could kind of pop up on their feeds. Uh, so he needed another way to, to remind them of this moment. And so as we read, he got them to take 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, and they need to be carried up on their shoulders. So they're not, they're not huge stones, right? Not small, but not huge, maybe about the kind of size of a bag of concrete or something. And take them from the middle of the river, right from where the priests were standing, and take them out and to build a monument. Now, as far as kind of structures go, right, it's it's pretty insignificant. Uh, it's a very ordinary pile of 12 stones. Uh, it's no big church, no neon sign, no statue of Joshua, uh, no, not even a, a shrine of remembrance. Just a, a small pile of rocks to act as a reminder. See, one of the, the great enemies of our faith is forgetfulness. See, in the, in the midst of the, the trials and troubles of life, when there's doubt and uncertainty, how easy is it for us to forget who God is and what he's done? See, we forget his promises to us. We, we forget that his presence is with us. We forget those truths that should shape how we live in every moment and the choices that we make. And so God has this habit of using just very ordinary things to remind us of extraordinary truths. And so here he just uses a pile of stones so that you don't forget what God has done here. And the intention is not just so this generation would remember but it was passed on to their children. And so when they're, they're walking past that, that place with their, their kids, and the kids go, so what's with the pile of stones? That's the opportunity for them to say, here's what the Lord did here. This is how the Lord was faithful. It's when he unleashed his awesome power and made the way for us to enter the promised land. So it would be their, their fuel for perseverance for generations to come. And so the Lord, he was preparing his people by displaying his power and ensuring they wouldn't forget it. The last thing we'll look at is the way the Lord also prepares his people to enter the promised land by establishing and exalting their new leader. That's the final point for us. That Joshua is exalted, is the exalted leader. So as we've been seeing in this series, uh, we said Moses had died and, and now the, the people need a new leader. Now, admittedly, uh, the, the title of the book, the title of our series, a bit of a spoiler of you know, who's that going to be and, and what that might look like. But, but if you think about it from these people's perspective, I mean, 
there's some pretty big shoes to fill in Moses, right? Like particularly at such a critical time in the nation's history. I mean, you know, they're, they're about to enter the promised land. And they're not entering as owners, but as enemies. And so who is going to lead them? Is Joshua going to be that one? Is he anointed by the Lord like Moses was? And so this moment of crossing the river was going to be the, the, the moment that proves it one way or another. You know, crossing a body of water. Moses did it last time. Can Joshua pull off the same thing? So Israel needed a, a new leader that they could be completely confident in. They could have complete trust in. That there'd be no shadow of a doubt that he was a leader who would be faithful to the Lord and could lead them into the promised land, lead them into this enemy territory. Because if Joshua wasn't that person and they followed him anyway, they'd be following him to their destruction. And so this is what the Lord promises to do. Look at uh, back in chapter 3, verse 7. So the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And then after the people have crossed, see this in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 14. It says, On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. About 1400 years later, Jesus also came and, and passed through the waters of the Jordan River. And it's actually quite possible that it was actually in this exact spot. Because Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, he would, he would come down to the Jordan near Jericho and was baptizing people. And so even if this wasn't the exact spot, it's still the, the, the waters of the Jordan nonetheless. And so Jesus, he, he comes there to be baptized, not because, because he needed to be forgiven of sin or anything like that, but because he came to show that, that he was the new and better Moses who leads his people through the water out of the bondage to slavery and sin. But he also came to show that he's the new and better Joshua, who leads his people through the water into the promises of God. So like Joshua, was at this moment exalted by the Lord as he passed through the waters, we see Jesus was also exalted by God as he passed through the waters in baptism. It says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it recounts this. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, my, my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then even this moment actually points to another moment when Jesus was also exalted. I read in the book of Acts uh, where Peter and the other apostles, they get arrested because they can't stop talking about Jesus. 
Uh, it says that they're strictly charged not to keep talking about Jesus and preaching about his, but they, they, they do so anyway. And so they, they get arrested and they said, why, why do you keep doing this? We told you to stop. And so in Acts chapter 5, it says, uh, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. They are the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. See, like God exalted Joshua to be their leader. God exalted Jesus, not, not because he passed through some water, but because he raised him from the dead. So that by his grace and his mercy, that we might know and have the precious and very great promises of God. So that we might have the leader that we need. So that, so that we can have complete confidence that he will, he will lead us into the battle of faith. That he's the one that we can completely trust. Because like the Israelites, we, we live in enemy territory. And every day it is a, is it a, it is a battle to live in light of the promises of God. That, that each day we need to be fighting for those promises to be realized in our lives. Because we're forgetful, aren't we? We, we? we need constant reminding of who God is and what he has done. We need constant reminding of his mercy that, that leads us into his promises. What are the stones that, that God has given you to remind you of his goodness and grace in your life? See, there's, what, are the, what are the evidences of God's grace that, that perhaps you need to bring to mind to help you persevere? See, some of the, the stones that God gives us to remember are, are corporate. They're for all Christians. Simple, ordinary things like, like bread and wine in communion, like, like water in baptism, ordinary things that remind us of extraordinary truths of the resurrection of Jesus. But, but some of the stones that he, he's given you will be, will be personal to you. There are times where you've experienced God's grace in your life. Perhaps you've experienced some kind of, of, of miraculous healing or, or, or a pregnancy when all the, the doctors said that it would be impossible. Perhaps it's the, the answers to prayer that you've been praying for years and years or, or just the, the moments of everyday life that you can point to where, where it's clear that God has been faithful and has turned up and intervened in your life. See, how, how is it that you'll remember these things? Because we're prone to forget, right? What, what will you do with the stones that God has given you? One of the best things that we can do is, is share those things with others. To, to tell and, and to share the testimony of how has God's grace been evident in your life? Where have you seen him work? And so maybe in, in gospel community this week, spend some time, share with one another what are the stones of remembrance that God has given you? 
We love to, to, to hear and share these stories as well. So, so let, let us know. I mean, we, we'd love this week for our inbox to be filled with stories of, of God's grace in your life so that we can share them as well. Because if, if you're a believer, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then God has proved his faithfulness to you. And so whatever might be next for you, whatever it is that you're, you're, that you're stepping into, you can step into that with, with courage and strength because he's with you. And it's the mercy of God in Jesus that makes the promises of God available to you. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we, we, we thank you and we just praise you for the, for the many ways that, that you have shown your power and your goodness and your grace to us. The time and time again, that you have proved your faithfulness to your people. You've proved your faithfulness to us. We confess that we're forgetful. We confess that we, we don't easily see those things, that we, that we so easily fail to prepare ourselves to, to see and encounter your grace in our lives. And so we pray that you might even now just remind us of, of those stones that you've given us. The, the, the things that we need to remember and call to mind so that our faith may be strengthened and that way we may persevere in times of doubt, times of hardship, times of uncertainty. And we thank you for Jesus, that it's, that it's by his mercy we can enter into your promises that because he died and he rose and he was victorious over sin and victorious over death, that, that we can follow him with, with courage and strength into the battles that we face. And that because he's defeated sin, because he's defeated death, there's nothing for us to fear for you are with us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Pray that it be, might, might be transforming our hearts and our minds. We pray these things in the mighty, mighty name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.